0: welcome to the weekly skeptic episode 74 i'm nick dixon here with the man who took down the premier league toby young and coming up the horrendous asylum seeker attack that we're told is not about asylum seekers mp mike freer steps down due to death threats and arson wonder who did that and why are the premier league spying on football fans plus loads more and of course peak woke but toby uh well first you want to say thank you to our base subscribers and say come to the live show feb 12th because we always have to say that
1: Yes. So um, less than a week to go now before uh, the Weekly Skeptic Live, which is downstairs at the Hippodrome. Uh, It's on Monday, February the 12th, and um, tickets are only £25. So if you want to have a drink with Nick and me afterwards in the Hippodrome's exclusive rooftop bar, you can do that for £75, which also includes uh, price of the ticket to the show. So you come to the show, come have a drink with us afterwards. Um, And tickets are selling fast. So if you want to come, Go and check it out. Uh, If if you want to buy a ticket, the easiest thing to do is to go to basedmedia.org and click on events. And then there's a link there to take you through to Eventbrite and you buy a ticket. And we should also say thank you to those who've subscribed, become premium subscribers to BASED. Um, uh, They'll be seeing a longer version of this show. Um, For those of you that uh, haven't yet subscribed, you'll be seeing the short version unless you subscribe, in which case you can see the longer version. And to subscribe, you need to go to basedmedia.org. That's B-A-S-E dmedia.org and uh, you can become a premium sw- subscriber for as little as five pounds a month
0: yes indeed so come down on feb 12th hippodrome in london in leicester square some people get annoyed that you've just assumed it's london they don't even say london like how do, do you mean london yes it's in Is it leicester square <laughs> at the hippodrome it'll be very good it'll be hilarious i'm sure just like last time so come along to that and thank you to all the subscribers as toby says based media Dot org, and you'll still get a great version on the free one. I'm not going to shortchange it, but the paid one you'll get loads of extra stuff. This week we're going to go even bigger on the on the paid stuff, and I think that is that's pretty much that covered. Um, so Toby, you went to this PopCon event, I believe. So in case anyone doesn't know, somehow they've missed PopCon. I mean, you have to be a political junkie for this, but people will have, who listen to this will have uh, will may be aware of it. So there was this PopCon, which is another Liz Trust comeback. She seems to have come back many times. It's like the the growth group and all this kind of growth coalition, whatever it was. Now she's back with Popcorn. Farage was there, but it turns out so was Toby Young. Toby. Yes.
1: Well, there were a couple of no shows. So um, Simon Clark, who um, used to be a very close Liz Truss ally, so Popcorn is essentially a Liz Truss vehicle, um, not 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 to kind of get her re-elected as leader of the party, but it's part of her kind of. Um, Post prime ministerial life, life after Downing Street, she's she's um, created this uh, think tank um, slash campaigning organisation. POPCON stands for Popular Conservatism, um, and it's led by Mark Littlewood, formerly the director of the Institute of Economic Affairs and a big Southampton fan. Um, uh, Last time I saw him then, in fact, um, was on the train um, to a Southampton game when QPR were playing Southampton. Um, But uh, yeah, so Simon Clark wasn't there, and Ranil Jawadina, another Tory MP, also a Liz ally, expected didn't show but Nigel Farage expected and did show um, and they had a pretty impressive roster of speakers in addition to Liz Truss and Mark Littlewood they had Jacob Rees-Mogg they had uh, Lee Anderson former deputy chair of the Conservative Party and your fellow GB News host and they had um, a star a new star they unveiled a new star called Mari Fraser who is the prospective parliamentary candidate for the Conservative Party for the constituency of Epsom and Ewell, if that's how you pronounce it. And she was quite impressive. Uh, And the theme of the event was, um, you know, how do we make red blooded conservative policies popular again? the implication was Rishi Sunak is failing to do that, um, partly because um, he's not conservative enough um, and Liz Truss actually said in her speech that one of the problems, the uh, one, of, one of the shortcomings of um, successive conservative prime ministers and by implication, Rishi Sunak um, is that they failed to confront left wing extremists in the blob and therefore the the, the, the Overton window has just shifted further and further to the left. But the overall theme was that... parliamentary democracy is being undermined by the growth of all these unaccountable bodies, Um, not just the quangocracy, but also international unaccountable bodies like the WHO and uh, the EU, um, etc. And, you know, I think a lot of it would resonate with us and with our listeners and, um, uh, you know, all power to them. And I think there was what was um, what was what I liked about it is that they shared our misgivings about the current direction of travel, about what's happening to our country. Um, they were anti-woke. They were they want to limit immigration. Um, uh, they want to defend our borders. Um, uh, they want to do something to um uh, uh, combat the denigration of Britain's history and heritage. Um, so, uh, and, and that they're all about lowering taxes and uh, releasing entrepreneurs and taking the shackles off business, reducing red tape. So, a lot of uh, good conservative policies, which I think you and I and many of our listeners would agree with. Um, so, that was all encouraging. But unlike some of our listeners, they weren't too uh, gloomy about the prospects of resting back control. Um, they're clearly quite optimistic. They think it can be done, perhaps not in this parliament. Perhaps they won't be able to uh, do anything for a while. Uh, but they weren't too gloomy about the prospect of a two-term Keir Starmer-led government. They still, they still thought we could take back control and um, uh, do something about all these forces that are undermining Britain. So that was that was um, quite encouraging. All told, I thought it was quite a positive morning.
0: Okay, well, a good account. But um, my scepticism regards the, the fact that are the policies they're talking about even that exciting anyway? I mean, it says the new popcorn group, this is in the mail, will urge Rishi Sunak to go to the country later this year with policies that appeal to traditional Tory voters. I mean, imagine that. Amending the Equality Act, well, okay, yeah, that would be good. Reforms of the Human Rights Act, that would be good. Uh, something on tax, okay, and not bother with the cigarette ban. But it's not really radical stuff, is it? Isn't it just kind of like fairly standard sort of watered down Thatcherism? I mean, is it that exciting? I mean, even if they do rest back control, it's just yeah. this trust stuff. I mean, is it, is it that exciting?
1: Well, yeah, it was. It was. It was. Mari Fraser, she 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 began with a quote from Margaret Thatcher. Um and and I guess one of the criticisms of PopCon is, well, do they really have any new ideas, or is this just reheated Thatcherism? Um and there were some. I mean, I guess I guess that that their 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 argument would be: look, Margaret Thatcher managed to um boost the British economy, restore confidence to the British people. Um, uh, uh arrest the decline narrative um by uh deregulating by um denuding the trade unions of power um, by resetting um and um, departing from the Butzkelite consensus and the implication of what they were saying the thrust of several of the speeches was um something like the same malaise is now afflicting britain um uh Britain's become silted up with all this red tape. We're overregulated. There's an unaccountable quangocracy, the today's equivalent, I guess, of the trade unions. Um, uh, and 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 we can, with a bit of the same reforming radical spirit of Margaret Thatcher, we can um, uh, embark upon a reform program that will that will have the same positive effect on economic growth on restoring. Uh, uh, animal spirits to the British economy and so forth. Um, so there was, there was sort of, and, and I guess there were, there were, they, they there did seem to be a slight pivot from straightforward free market capitalist neoliberalism in that um they they definitely weren't pro immigration and that's um that that seems to be a pivot not only for mark littlewood but also for liz truss you know under liz truss she she was sort of uh, seemingly quite sanguine about high levels of immigration at one point i think there was a mini scandal because um she was clearly counting on ever increasing levels of immigration to make her pro-growth economic agenda work. Um and that was one of the criticisms I think that Suella Braverman made of her government. Um so um but 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 there was a lot of talk certainly at the launch of PopCon um about limiting mass migration, about defending our borders, doing something about the small boats. So there does seem to have been a bit of a pivot. They weren't, you know, um socially conservative and I guess differed from the Natcons in that respect. There was no references to our Christian heritage or anything like that, about defending the family, creating a kind of tax regime that was more hospitable to, you know, families, nothing like that. So Departed from NatCon in that respect, but certainly not quite as neoliberal as um, Liz Truss's kind of agenda was when she was PM. So there's been a a slight pivot, uh, but not a a huge pivot. Um, Mm. But uh, yeah, so um, but I think I think probably the most um, impressive speech, not surprisingly, was that by Jacob Rees-Mogg. And um, he said things like the age of Davos man is over. Um, he um, he talked about the populist revolt across Europe and um, the wider world more generally He said voters have had enough and they're saying up with this. I will not put and he sort of positioned those populist revolts as a revolt against the erosion of national sovereignty in these countries. He he talked about the farmers besieging Paris said it was the first time Paris had been besieged since Bismarck. And one of the things they were complaining about is that um, the Macron government has to ask the EU for permission to create a slightly more favorable environment for French farmers. They no longer enjoy national sovereignty. And that's how he sort of positioned the populist revolts across Europe and South America, a response to the kind of power grab by organisations like the EU, the WHO, COP, um, uh, and, uh, uh, and a kind of an attempt to take back control, to restore sovereignty to national parliaments. And he also talked about how Tony Blair had undermined the sovereignty of parliament with the Human Rights Act, the Climate Change Act, the Equality Act, all legislation that had bound his successors, tied the hands of his successors, and he criticized Blair for creating the Supreme Court. Um, the, 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 the Our highest uh, uh, judicial body used to be within parliament, the law lords, now they're outside parliament. That was um, a constitutional precedent, separating powers for the first time, taking um, a powerful body that makes important political decisions outside parliament and making it unaccountable to parliament Uh, so he he managed to produce i thought quite a coherent kind of narrative um linking pop cons with the wider global populist revolt and that was that was um that was quite compelling i thought
0: well you make him sound like Jacob rees bannon sort of party of davos like talking talking like steve bannon a lot of the you know european stuff going on in europe aligning with that the problem with the party of davos so that sounds interesting. I, I'm a bit sceptical that Blair tied their hands. I mean, they, Cameron allowed his hands to be tied, didn't he, and call himself call himself the heir to Blair. I mean, we might talk about in the paid section this Tony Blair leadership manual. But, I mean, I put this post... He, I mean, Blair's written a leadership manual he wishes he was given in 97. He's giving it to Starmer. I made this claim, every Prime Minister since Tony Blair has been Tony Blair. Cameron was clearly Blair. All the other toys were Blair. And now Starmer will be handed a literal manual written by Tony Blair. The only question is, we finally get an opposition to the Blair Party. Some people told me, well, Boris wasn't like Blair, and you can debate that. But the point is, they've been stuck in what Carl Benjamin calls the Blairite paradigm. So it sounds like Mogg is admitting that, but sort of still blaming Blair rather than, I mean, surely they could have just got in and torn up some of that legislation on day one.
1: Yes. Um, it, it was, it was, it was an, yeah, it was, it was one of the slight oddities about it was they sort of sounded like um, a, party in, a party in opposition. Um, rather than the party that's been the party of government for the last 14 years. Um, And a lot of the criticisms Liz Truss made of, you know, what conservatives hadn't done, in some respects, could have been made of her, though, I guess, in her defence, she did try and do a little bit more. And that's why she was ejected. But one of the the themes of her speech was, um, you know, conservatives have been too timid. Uh, Conservatives have wanted to curry favour with the kind of liberal intelligentsia. They haven't, been Willing to risk um, social exclusion from Islington dinner parties, she said. You know, she said, I don't have that problem. I'm never invited to London dinner parties, um, <laughs> which may be true. Um, but uh, yeah, the, <laughs> she, the, the, she so came the, to the DB News party. Yeah. <laughs> that was in um, London. But I, I, I guess dinner, in, in, in 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 the Popcons' defence, they'd say, okay, Tony Blair has only tied the hands of his successors because they've been too timid too timid to break the bonds. Uh, but we'd be less timid if uh, if 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 you elect our faction or if our faction prevails um but it wasn't it wasn't immediately clear who their leadership candidate is and and mark um, littlewood started off by saying as i said in my times column a couple of days ago uh, i don't think we should replace rishi sunak before the next election uh, uh, i am four square behind the prime minister before then going on to criticize him in almost every respect so
0: yeah, I mean, that's that's the line a lot of people are taking. It's Suella Abrahman, very similar on GB News and Kemi, very similar. But yeah, they're not going to replace him now. But yeah, I mean, the, the danger is there'll just be a party in the wilderness saying things that I agree with, but just in the wilderness that they didn't actually do in power. And I think that is kind of inexcusable. Why didn't they do them? Why were they so timid? And it's because they basically agree. I mean, they're basically a vaguely left-wing or globalist party. They basically agree with Blair, and most people... I mean, even Liz Truss used to be a Lib Dem. She's seen the light maybe now. They're basically... They are that party. There was something else I wanted to respond to that you said as well. Oh, the opposition thing. That's the, that's the thing. And Mishy, even, even in the Conservative conference, sounded like he was in opposition, and he was a hard sell as a change candidate. It seemed very weird. It didn't suit his persona, and it didn't suit the fact that he's the prime minister. But they are... But the way that they are the opposition, of course, is that the, we've had this stealth revolution the cultural revolution, the Blair revolution, the woke revolution, whatever it is, we we all we all see it. We've had a complete revolution in all our institutions. Everyone knows that now. The only people who debate that are people who are trying to gaslight you because they they like it. So they are they are the opposition. They have been the opposition the whole time because the civil service has a certain uh, set of beliefs that also the Bank of England has that also corporations go along with now. Starting to crack a little bit with the DEI stuff falling apart, but they have been, in effect, the opposition. This has been a strange paradox of the Conservatives. Or they've been a Cameron figure who just goes along with it and loves it. Or they've been, if, in effect, the opposition if they say anything Conservative. So that has been the strange... And you think, why have you not been able to seize yes. levers of Power? And Dominic yes. Cummings talks about it. It is very hard to do because you can't oust anyone in the yes. civil service.
1: Yes. I mean, it's it's as though, um yeah, someone like Jacob rees love him though I do, um, before becoming Business Secretary, um, before, you know, getting his hands on the levers of power. Um, He talked a big game about um, the blob and about wresting back control from civil servants um, and restoring parliamentary sovereignty. Gets into power, gets his hands on the levers of power, doesn't seem to do a great deal. And then after he's left power, then complains that the blob are still in charge. And you think kind of like, well, yeah, and and the, the moral here must be, that if you want to wrest back control from a blob you need a detailed plan of action um and that 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 was that was the lacuna um in uh in the popcons manifesto as unveiled today it's all very well to complain about you know power leaking away from parliament towards these unelected national and international organizations institutions uh, but what are you going to do about it how are you going to take back control and that was one of the shortcomings of brexit kind of you know we're going to take back control we voted to leave the eu but turned out that um all that really happened was that control shifted from you know bureaucrats in brussels to bureaucrats in whitehall and parliament the people never really took back control
0: yeah and just one other thing on on all this I'm, i mean i mean Mogg, I I hate to criticize a colleague, and he's a he's a great man. But Reese Mogg did back Cameron at the time. You, you know, he went to school with Camden. He was, certainly went to Oxford with him, and they they all. You know, it's not like he, he's very loyal to the party. So it's not like he was out there saying that. Maybe he was saying it in private and doing what he can. You know, it's hard to criticize without being part of it. Maybe he was doing what he what he could. I know he was skeptical about lockdowns reasonably early and things like that. So maybe. And did you get a sense? Because you're, the policies you're describing seem kind of Farage-esque, the agenda. He was there allegedly is just in his capacity as a GB News broadcaster, so there's a loophole there. Did you get the sense that this is really the Farage party, or is it just the Liz Trust party and Farage was just there as a
1: journalist? Well, I think a lot of the um, policies they were um, setting out, including uh, reneging on net zero, um, they're a little bit Luke sort of lily-livered about that. They weren't as kind of um fulsome um in their assault on net zero as Richard Tice and Nigel Farage have been. it was like it was like sort of um, the agenda that they set out was like the reform party light. Um but it was certainly closer to you know Farage's agenda than Conservatives, you know, have been in the past. Um so you know, if he if I would have thought that um, you know, if he does. If he does at some point rejoin, and I think he said, you know, last week that he hasn't ruled it out, um, then um, this is probably the faction he'd be aligned with. Though whether they'd embrace him as their leadership candidate remains to be seen.
0: Interesting, yeah. I mean, speaking of the leadership, I saw this poll for more in common. I don't really trust more in common because any. I saw a couple of dodgy stories this week, and they were behind them, and they were this think tank that was set up in the wake of Joe Cox's murder, and i don't totally trust them, but in the poll, Penny Morden was ahead by twenty six points, and everyone else was just nowhere I mean so that's a very different view, but we're all thinking, oh, we need to get the party to do something conservative, but actually Penny Morden was storming this poll
1: did you Did you see that I did see that yeah, it was um uh, quite worrying in that it suggests that um if there is a leadership election, whether before or after the general um Penny Morden will be in poll position to succeed Rishi Sunak and not Kemi Um, But I think one thing we can say to placate fears along those lines is that let's suppose there isn't a change of leadership um, and uh, the Conservative Parliamentary Party is wiped out and reform polls between 15 and 20% of the vote. And that's one of the reasons the Parliamentary Tory Party is Wiped out, um, it would be hard, I think, in those circumstances for people to say we need Penny Mordant, she's the answer to all our problems. Um, I think it would have to be someone much closer to reform, so that would help Kemi and not Penny.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think if Penny gets in as leader, then you have to have a separate party of some sort. Surely the right of the party breaks off, you can't get behind Penny, which is ultra woke. Looks good with a ceremonial sword, but, you know, apart from that, just ultra-woke, can't see anything conservative about her. So surely that – I just – I don't know. If it happens, then surely the other side have to do something. I don't know what it is. They get together with reform or – I don't know what happens in that scenario. Yeah, I would have thought that that
1: that, would be – I mean, they'll both – I would have thought that people in both camps um, will argue that if you elect the leader in the other camp, um, it'll cause the party to split. But actually, I think you're right. It would be more likely to split if Penny became the leader than if Kemi became the leader. I think Kemi is a more credible unity candidate than Penny. Penny is, for my mind, too closely associated with the left of the party, certainly with the kind of LGBTQ plus wing of the Parliamentary Conservative Party. Because party of a
0: activist, gay activist twin brother. Yeah. He's kind of into the trans stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean... One quick thing on that. So we had a, a, quite a long email from uh, Peter, one of our esteemed listeners. So thank you, for Peter. And he was excoriating, is that the word? Uh, Kemi, I mean, he was just saying Kemi is part of, he seemed to think I didn't know about the A-list, which of course I do, Cameron's A-list. And his point was that Kemi was just a diversity hire. The Cameron A-list, that's why she got through. No white man was allowed to get through. Cameron was proud about this. This is one of the many Blairite moves of Cameron that's really kind of sickening. Although you you strangely said that Cameron was on that was a very effective leader and Peter was the sort of lambasting you for that, but his point was Kemi's a diversity hire; she's part of the A list. Don't believe the hype. It's all Cameron woke nonsense. And actually, she won't appeal to voters. She comes across arrogant, and she's not the answer. What do you think to that?
1: Well, I don't think you can you can blame Kemi um, for getting onto the. Candidates list, um, you know, under Cameron, um, as part of a kind of pro diversity drive, um, you know that that may be true. I don't know, um, but um, nevertheless, she seems to be the most impressive um, candidate to emerge um, from the A list, I think. Um, and I think she's parted. I, I I don't think she was ever a Cameroonian. Um, if that's the word, a Cameroon. Um, I remember Cameroon. when she, when she, when she worked at the Spectator, which is when I first got to know her. Uh, she would say to you, you know, um, I am a deeply conservative person. I don't think you realize just how conservative I am. She was keen to emphasise, and at that stage, you know, I don't think had any ambitions to become an MP, let alone leader of the party. I think she was just keen to drive home. To those she met, that she was a genuine, um, passionate, red-blooded conservative. Um, uh, so I, 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 I don't think she can be accused of being, you know, um, uh, uh, another heir to Blair.
0: Okay. His other point was that she had been in Nigeria till about age sixteen, and that this was an issue because it sort of means you haven't fully absorbed British culture. So that's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I with.
1: think that's a mistake too. I think um I think actually, uh, curiously, um some of the people who are most patriotic um are people um who have either arrived themselves in this country, having fled a kind of corrupt dictatorship, as in Kemi's case, um uh, uh, or they're you know um uh, the, the, the sons or daughters of uh, migrants, um, often um, the intelligence services uh, recruit uh, from the children of recently arrived migrants or people who arrived as migrants uh, in their in their teens. Um, uh, it's, I think, um, you know, embracing this country, believing in this country, being being patriotic um, uh, uh, is often is, of, is, is often because you've, you, you've, you've recently experienced or your parents experienced the horrors of living in a less civilised uh, country in which the rule of law didn't prevail, in which there wasn't the same tradition of liberty um, and respect for property rights and so forth. Um, so I don't think that's a black mark. I think that's a positive.
0: OK, well, that bit ran slightly longer than I thought, but it's very interesting to get the inside scoop on Popcon uh am not t- quite sure about the name sounds a bit like popcorn i don't know if that's the idea <laughs> but um yeah popcorn and they might want to change that not sure what to but may want to go back to drawing board on that but very interesting all right so that was popcorn and now let's get into our sort of main stories of the week we have to start with the asylum seeker attack whatever you want to call it this guy abdul who i'm sure you all know was a convicted sex offender applied for asylum twice, didn't get in, got in on the third go because he said he was a Christian, that's the new thing, you just say you're a Christian, they go, okay, yeah, we'll let you in. Then he attacks a woman and her daughters who are three and eight years old, I believe, then he goes missing, the police put out a 20K reward. They tell him to turn himself in, which was an interesting tactic, mocked by some online, then they offered a £20,000 reward. Now I saw a, a thing today, uh, as we record from Nick Oldworth, a former National Counterterrorism Coordinator, who says he might already be dead, might have already killed himself. But I was sort of, well, I was going to say I was more interested. Obviously, the event itself is important and horrific. Then there's the fallout from the event. And I'm sure you've all seen some of the disgusting gaslighting following this. The the thing that really bothered me was the Guardian headline, chemical attack, police hunt injured man. So imagine seeing, I mean, if you read that blind, you think, oh, what, this poor injured man? Why are the police hunting him? So The Guardian managed to sound like they're siding with the violent criminal, which was just so Guardian. I mean, The Guardian just loved nothing more than a violent criminal. I posted, I hope you find someone who loves you as much as lefties love uh, a violent criminal, att- asylum seeker attacks people with corrosive substances. I mean, they just they just love someone like that. And then we had uh, the Newsnight piece with Kirsty Walk, Caroline Noakes, and some, some other person. And they were all saying, oh, yeah, It's not really about asylum. This is about toxic masculinity and microaggressions and incel culture. You're like, what are you talking about? An asylum seeker just poured a corrosive substance on people and attacked women and children. And you're going, it's about, basically they're saying it's about Andrew Tate. And I knew that was going to happen. And then a young man on GB News of all places, a guest, not some regular guest, because we have to have balance, did actually literally blame Andrew Tate. And I I knew it was going to happen. I had a BBC on my bingo card rather than GB News, but... It always comes back to Andrew Tate, boys in school, and it's just like, you people are just beyond parody at this point. Of course, Matthew Stadlin playing it down and not all asylum seekers and blah, blah, blah. No one's saying it's all asylum seekers, but we're saying in this case, clearly asylum was relevant because he tried to claim asylum three times, got in, was already a criminal, should never have been in the country. Gillian Keegan was perhaps the most disgraceful because she's an alleged conservative, and she came on Sky and said, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's not really an asylum issue. I mean, what are you talking about? I have that story here with me. It, what, not really an asylum issue. I mean, how on earth is it not an asylum? She said, not really about asylum. And she went on and said, oh, I, I'm more worried about the, wo-. pressed on whether she was concerned about the case. She replied, I'm concerned actually that there's a mum and two children who are in hospital. Yeah, it's both, isn't it? I mean, we're all concerned about the women and children in hospital, but it's like, we're also concerned about the completely failed asylum system. What is going on here, Toby?
1: Yeah, it's, it's whenever something like this happens, um, there seems to be a coordinated effort to deflect attention from the real issue. Um, and the issue here is that we are far too lax about who we grant asylum to. Um, and it really doesn't matter um, uh, uh, how dubious the people are and what danger they might pose to members of the public. Um, We seem to be just incredibly permissive in who we grant asylum to and the critical factor in this guy's case seemed to be the fact that um, he converted to Christianity. He he failed twice to uh, be granted asylum but succeeded on the third try because at that point he'd converted to Christianity. He found Um, a credulous um, Anglican priest um, who decided that yes he was sincere in his professed belief in Jesus Christ and um, accepted him into the church and it was on that basis seemingly well that was a contributory factor to him being granted asylum and there was another wasn't there an archbishop who boasted about the number of um, asylum seekers he would converted to Christianity somehow imagining it was to do with his extraordinary powers and as, as a speaker and as an evangelist um, uh, when in fact he's just being scammed um, by these grifters um, wanting to expedite their asylum applications um, and it, it's sort of shocking to me that I mean there are many shocking aspects of this story but the complicity of the Church of England in um, you know a um, uh, Helping people like this acid attacker um, gain asylum uh, without seemingly any thought to the potential threat they might pose to, you know, um, innocent women and children. It's like, why is that? You know, you can see why they might sort of tell themselves that um, giving these asylum seekers who profess to be Christians. And apparently, you know, there was, there was, what's that, what's that ship called again? There's the sort of uh, where various asylum seekers are housed, like the rate of conversion to Christianity on the, on this, on this kind of cruise ship, this barge, uh, is like 40% of them. But, you know, you can see why, I suppose, these kind of, um, these kind of earnest kind of uh, knitted brow Christian vicars would think that uh, they want to give these these poor um, beleaguered migrants from far-flung parts of the world fleeing conflict zones. Why they want to give them the benefit of the doubt? Oh, they've seen the light, um, uh, and they presumably support you know um, uh, giving giving asylum to as many people as possible in any event. But but you'd think they would at some point have at least a thought for the potential danger that 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 they might pose to women and children, as this guy did.
0: Yeah, the barge is the Bibby Stockholm, by the way, which the um, Bibby Stockholm, yeah. sounds like uh, Greta Thunberg's half-sister, I've just realised. But um, <laughs> the the phenomenon you're talking about is, yeah, the, the conversions, the one that struck me, uh, Swella Brabham and Priti Patel have been talking about this. There was a the guy that detonated the bomb outside Liverpool Women's Hospital in 2021, having been confirmed at Liverpool Cathedral in 2017 And in 2016, the dean of the cathedral at the time, I'm quoting from the Telegraph, said he had converted 200 asylum seekers in four years, but added, I can't think of a single example of somebody who already had British citizenship converting here with us from Islam to Christianity. Do not work out the ruse at some point. No one who's already British is converting. It doesn't really happen. Famously, not many people from Islam convert to Christianity. You had like Ian Hershie Ali. This is like a an international story when someone does it because it's quite rare, you know, and obviously she's famous, but not many people do it and it's a big deal and it comes with quite a lot of risks. And one thinks of the Asia Bibi case and things like this. Did she convert or was she just already Christian? I'm not sure, but you you know, you don't convert very easily from Islam to Christianity. So the fact that they're all asylum seekers and you've done 200 of these, I mean, is this, are they just lefties? Are they gullible? Do they think, Oh good. We're getting more Christians because Christianity is struggling. It's like, yes, but you're not getting real Christians. I mean, how can they be so I know the church of England is wet, but are they really just that stupid and gullible?
1: Well maybe they're not stupid. maybe they just um, maybe they're, they're knowingly complicit you know that they believe in open borders. Um, they think that we ought to welcome these um, the tired and huddled masses to our breast. They think of that as part of their Christian mission. Um, so they're willing to just uh, say whatever it takes to help these people. Secure British citizenship. Um, in the case of um, Abdul Azidi, um, uh, the acid attacker, um, uh, he had pa- apparently told friends that he was going to return to Afghanistan now that he'd secured British citizenship um, to um, find a bride. Um, and you'd think, well, if you've converted to Christianity, um, why are you returning to Afghanistan to find a good Muslim bride um, seemed a bit you know seemed to seem to um, uh, 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 suggest that he hadn't made a full conversion
0: you, are you trying to say to over this uh, sex offender asylum seeker gaming system gamer is not entirely straight up he's not a straight <laughs> up he's not a straight shooter he's not a
1: stand-up one, guy one of the extraordinary things about this story Nick was um after the attack, he was photographed in film, captured on CCTV, in I think um, a Tesco in Kings Cross on the Caledonian Road or somewhere near the Caledonian Road, um, and uh, and if you see, you know the still from the CCTV footage, it looks like half his face has melted off. Um, he's clearly been injured uh, in the course of trying to injure other people with this kind of corrosive substance. Um, and it seems like one of his eyes has been destroyed. I mean, he looks like, you know, something out of uh, one of the Batman films. Um, and uh, But, you know, seemingly no one batted an eyelid in the Tesco's no on Caledonian intended. Road. Uh, uh, only only in only in you know contemporary britain in an inner city could someone go shopping in tescos at midnight with half their face melting away and no one bats an eyelid
0: exactly i see that kind of thing every day just down my street i just you just walk away you, you don't look yeah i was thinking about that how did no one catch him and one one explanation is you see this guy with half his face missing he looks terrifying and The story hasn't broken yet, so you don't go, that's the technically alkaline attacker, that's the corrosive substance attacker guy. You go, I'm getting away from this guy. So in a way, although you might still report it as something, they do say on the tube, if you see anything unusual, it's like, that's pretty unusual. Like you say, not that unusual in London these days. If you see anything unusual, like someone missing half their face, report it to transport police. I mean... So presumably, right, you see it, you just go, uh, and but then in retrospect, surely, at least, once they've heard about the story, they then would report it. Yeah, I mean, how has he got away? It is, mad. has he gone to ground? Has he found someone to help him, a, a friend or whatever? Or has he killed he, himself, as this guy uh, Nick Oldworth said?
1: There was some poll I saw um, uh, s- s- in connection with this story. Someone pointed out that um, uh, British Muslims have been asked if they'd turn over another Muslim who was a fugitive from justice to the police. And only something like, this may be an exaggeration, 10% said they would. So I suppose it's conceivable, Nick, that um, he may have uh, persuaded um, some fellow Muslims that um, his uh, Christian conversion wasn't 100% authentic, and they have, in fact, provided him with refuge. Um, Right,
0: in a mosque or a gym or something. Yeah, Very conceivable. And the other story along these lines was the uh, convicted Bangladeshi wife killer dodges deportation by converting to Christianity. This was in The Sun. And just to prove this is a a trend, uh, this guy claimed to be a Christian convert, but the judge didn't buy it initially. A judge had ruled his initial hearing, uh, his initial hearing, it failed to repent of his wrongdoing, which the Christian faith would surely require for a genuine conversion. But he was granted another appeal because the decision should be objective and evidence-based, and should not lapse into unhelpful speculation regarding the workings of the appellant's conscience. Well, yeah, maybe, but uh, when you see it's just—I mean, common sense must kick in at some point, surely.
1: Do you think? Do you think? Um, do you think it would be um, too illiberal to say to asylum seekers that profess to have converted to Christianity? Um, okay. That's fine. We'll take that into account in your asylum application, but we're going to put you on our website um, as as um, Muslim apostates, um, as people who have who have left the Muslim religion and become Christians. I imagine that that might put some of them off.
0: Yeah, I mean that would be terrible for the ones that were genuine because that's one thing they would rightly fear. But for the ones that aren't, which seems to be all the asylum seeker ones, I mean. You just need to be a bit smarter. I mean, you know, How would you? How would you apply the system? Because it's obvious if you're gaming the asylum. It's just in, if you're an asylum seeker, it's so obvious that that's what you're doing. But how do you actually? What legislation could you put into place to say you're obviously not sincere? Would you test them on the Bible? They could, they could learn the Bible, of course. They could just swat up.
1: Yeah, the 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 um, hold uh, the
0: cross up to them, see if they melt.
1: My friend Sean Langan, who was kidnapped by the Taliban in Afghanistan, um, at one point. Um, was asked um, uh, whether he um, wanted to convert to Islam, um, and um, he, he he realized that um, this that he this was being dangled in front of him um, uh, as an opportunity to save his life, um, but um, he didn't think they would um, take it seriously. Um, uh, uh, and it would just be it's essentially just a way of um, of 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 tor- psychologically torturing him, uh, persuading him that they initially believed him and that they weren't going to kill him, only to then tell him they didn't believe him. So he's he he didn't avail himself of that opportunity. Um, he said that uh, it was something he'd need to think about more deeply because it was such a an important decision, uh, or something along those lines. Um, which he that's quite was clever. Probably the right answer. Yeah, playing the grey um, man.
0: But, I've watched SAS. Who dares wins. It's given can it be vague. Yeah, but how did he get out? I mean, how did he? How did he get out?
1: Um, eventually, a ransom was paid.
0: Wow. So yeah, he just stalled for time.
1: Wow. Yeah, he was he was only kidnapped for about three months, um, but that's still, still pretty harrowing.
0: That sounds quite quite a long time. I going to say three days,
1: three months with the Taliban. Time. Well, I shouldn't have used the word only there. Only, it's yeah. yes. for his yeah. life on an almost daily basis, yeah.
0: Toby's He's like, back after three months. have you himself. been kidnapped by the Taliban? <laughs> what, for only three months? Stop banging on about it. <laughs> like some of the reviews of me, like stop banging on about your problems. Like, oh, sorry, I've been captured by the Taliban for three months. Does that bother you? Um, okay. All right, well, we've got another similar-ish story, which maybe we should move on to. We sort of covered that. And what can you say? The guy is still out there as we record. We don't know. It. Or is he out there? It's all very... Appalling. Actually, what did you think of Gillian Keegan's interview just specifically when she gaslit, or the or Newsnight gaslighting, all of them?
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but particularly the Tory one, like what was the policy there? Because you've already yeah. failed the public over 14 years or whatever. Mm. Do you really think gaslighting the public is a way to win the election?
1: Uh, well, I, I imagine that um, before appearing, uh, she had um, called someone at CCHQ, Um, to get the line. And the official line, I imagine, was nothing to do with asylum seeking. Because um, if she said, I blame our faulty process for approving asylum applications, that would have been an implied criticism of the Home Office. And we can't have a Tory cabinet minister criticising a department, which another Tory cabinet minister is in charge of or which a Tory was in charge of at the time this asylum application was granted. So I imagine that's probably what was what was responsible for what did feel like gaslighting.
0: Right. Yeah, You're in the yeah. it's, it's politics, but it just plays incredibly badly with the public. It just sounds kind of insane and, and, and insulting and ridiculous. And um, yeah, the one thing about the asylum system, we, we always hear like, oh, it has to be more efficient. But All it would do then is efficiently process more of these nutters. You know, at least it's inefficient and delays them a bit. What we really need is to deport them all. But but this that's another thing you hear, isn't it? Oh, it's inefficient. It's like that's not really the issue. The issue is we're letting in loads of dangerous nutters who pretend to convert to Christianity. What another shocking scandal for this country. Speaking of shocking scandals, let's do this other somewhat related story. This is Mike Freer. And this broke I think maybe a day after we last recorded. It feels like a long time ago now, the way things move in this news cycle, but this was, of course, Mike Freer, MP, Tory MP, stepping down, Finchley and Golders Green. And he, he wrote a long letter about it. And he's, he had death threats, very credible ones, because it was one of them was from the guy who later did murder Sir David Amos, shockingly. And he also, there was also an arson attack, which I think is a pretty good reason and pretty solid evidence that something bad is going on. And then he put out this resignation letter, and it's basically because of the threats and intimidation. And and you know, the threat to his family and his personal safety. and um, But one thing that no- I noticed in the letter that was kind of absurd was that even when he's stepping down because of death threats and arson, he feels compelled to say, it has been the privilege of my life to serve the wonderful, diverse, and vibrant area that is Finchley and Golders Green. I was like, we praise diversity even when we're kind of st- <laughs> being threatened, I mean, you know, fiery, but mostly peaceful diversity comes to mind. I mean, you've just had an arson attack because of one aspect of diversity, you know, not all diversity, blah, 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 but it's kind of a weird thing that we, he has to restate his religion there. And there's another, another element to that, that as a gay man, that he perhaps sees himself as part of whatever this thing is, diversity under that umbrella. But as an interesting distinction now, we, we're seeing, that really gay men in lots of ways in the woke culture war are on a different side you know you have they're attacked by the trans activists or they're even being attacked now sometimes by gender critical feminists weirdly and it's like okay maybe gay men are not really on that side so when you talk about diversity there's clearly diversity and diversity i mean there's one thing to be a gay man but that is at odds with being a radical islamist clearly so it's not that simple is it and it's kind of quite strangely felt the need to do that But mainly, of course, I massively sympathize with him that he's had to do this. And it's disgusting. The main note is it's disgusting that he felt he had to do this and that we've been so wet about it. Robert Jenrick now has spoken quite strongly about it, but he's, you know, stepped down from his position. Once people have stepped down, they get more bold. But but after David Amos, it was all about online safety. And now after Mike Freer, it's all about, well, there's been talk about online abuse and things like that. Is anyone going to do anything about any of this?
1: Well, Lindsay Hoyle in the House of Commons. Um, uh, when responding to the news that Mike Freer had um, announced his resignation because he essentially fears for his life, um, uh, said um, MPs need to start being nicer to each other, as though he'd received a death threat from (laughs) another member of the House of Commons. It was like, no, uh, Lindsay, I I think that's quite the issue here. But again, just another example of um, misdirection of a refusal to stare the problem in the face and the pretense that it's uh, not about radical Islam, it's about something else entirely. Um, And seemingly Mike Freer, um, as you say, um, uh, was reluctant to blame radical Islam, um, even though he himself said that uh, he'd only escaped being killed by The guy who murdered David Ames by the skin of his teeth. Um, And clearly, the death threats he's received as uh, the Jewish MP representing a Jewish constituency have been from, you know, Muslim radicals and the people who firebombed his office, presumably um uh Muslim radicals um but even he said but not that I'm in any way criticizing multiculturalism diversity and interestingly when he um he he, he actually resigned from Boris Johnson's government in 22 he was the minister for exports and equality and resigned because he felt that Boris's government had created an atmosphere of hostility for LGBT plus people um so um, uh, clearly um, a member of the LGBT plus conservative parliamentary lobby and didn't want to in any way be kind of claimed as, um, you know, um, someone on our side in the culture war or cited as Exhibit A in the failure of multiculturalism. So it was very Keen to emphasise that um, he didn't want to be taken as an example uh, in that way. Um, uh, it, it was, it was, it was, it was odd.
0: People would literally rather burn to death than be on our side, Toby. I mean, I take that quite personally. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, I mean, yeah, these guys firebombed me and tried to kill me. But hey, you know, they're for diversity and multiculturalism. At least they're not Toby Young. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like that is the position, isn't it? It's like, oh, I'm not part of them. And he, he was elected in 2010, and I think someone said this, he's another A-lister, and that's very possible that he's in there because he's gay, not just because of that. And he may be good at his job as well, but is he another Cameron A-lister and therefore part of all that, the Blairite revolution? Very worrying, very weird. I mean, the fact that people kind of stand up and say what it is, I understand they're afraid, but if, he, if he's afraid, that's one reason. I mean, it seems like he has good reason to be. But if it's just that you're so ideological that you can't see what's right in front of you. Then that's yeah. mental. Were you gonna add something? Otherwise yeah. I'm gonna go on to Ian Clark. Yeah, yeah,
1: there was there was there was one um other example of this, um but I'm I'm struggling to find it quickly enough, which was um the father, I think, of one of the people who was killed by um the guy in Nottingham, who was a student at Nottingham University, at the Um, funeral um, uh, praised multiculturalism and diversity. It was as though, like Mike Freer, even though um, his own experience uh, was a perfect illustration of the shortcomings of um, multiculturalism. Um, I mean, this guy paid an unbelievably high price, uh, but nevertheless felt duty bound to pay obeisance to what is as you say a kind of secular religion it's like don't take this as a criticism of our secular religion yeah
0: um, i remember the mother doing that in that speech over the nottingham thing was that was that what you were thinking of the, the mother do, doing that speech it was or, the mother it was the mother yeah. yeah i think it was the mother yeah that's right i remember yeah. that that was so disturbing yeah the idol- what can you do with that the ideological programming is so strong that's so weird that is a leftist world view though I mean, you believe in the ideology over even your own family, and you—it's so weird. It's so weird to someone who thinks of, in terms of family, as the, you know, the essential unit of society. It's just the—it's completely different way of thinking. That's just so disturbing. Um, the follow-up on the Mike Freer thing was that Anne Clark, who is a councillor for Cricklewood, posted this thing: "Just need Theresa for the hat trick of Barnet Tory MPs." It's a shocking post above Mike Freer's resignation letter, the guys had death threats, arson attacks, and you're like, lol, just need the hat trick. Now, that would, that would seem ostensibly evil, but she actually put out this apology. Last night, I tweeted an insensitive post without having properly read this letter, the letter I was referring to. I would never intentionally seek to cause division and upset over such a serious issue as an elected official's personal safety. Even when you've been in politics a long time, it's still possible to make mistakes And it was a huge error on my part not to fully read the letter before passing comment. I offer my apologies to anyone who was upset by my original post, which I deleted almost straight away. I've also made a private apology to Mike Freer. So what we're left with, okay, maybe she's not evil, just stupid, because who comments something like that on a resignation letter without reading it? Or do we not believe her? I mean, Josh Harry on Headliner said he plain didn't believe her. I sort of do believe her because I think it's so extreme. I do see the wider theme that, that Labour left-wing women think it's a victory to bring in <laughs> to side with radical Islam. It'd be a very pyrrhic victory. It'd be an extremely short-lived victory. The the day Sharia laws introduced, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we got those Tories out. Yeah, well, here's your new outfit, by the way. Just stick on the hijab, <laughs> whatever it is. Just like you know, it, it's going to be like a very short-lived, very short-lived win for them. So it's the most absurd alliance, as we many people have commented commented many times. The the, the left-wing the lefty white woman and the uh, (laughs) radical Islamist. But maybe she wasn't doing that. She was just a a crass post and she didn't read it. What do you think, Toby?
1: Yes, um, it was extremely crass. And um, it seemed to be an example of um, tribal politics um, trumping human empathy. Yeah. Um, In which all she saw was the prospect of um, Labour winning the seat. Um, uh, uh, if his resignation, I guess, prompts a by-election. Yeah, mad. Um, Celebrating
0: uh, a culture where you can be death-threatened out of your position, as if it couldn't then happen to her the the next day, or celebrating that... For us all to live in a culture where our politicians have to stand down because of death threats and arson attacks, and you're saying, oh, win for me. I mean, that's so unbelievably stupid. But do you believe her is uh, the um, key point, that she didn't read it? That's the key. Uh,
1: Yeah, I... I mean, I've no idea. Um, But um, one of the reasons it was unwise, um, as you say, um, uh, is because um, Labour MPs, I think, have been um, uh, threatened much more, attacked, abused by Muslim radicals um, uh, in the past, sort of since the uh, October 7th, attack um they'd be much more likely to be targeted than conservative mps because um they've they've they those that didn't vote for a ceasefire in that parliamentary vote um that's thought to be a betrayal um and uh you know radical muslims are much angrier with labor mps for not supporting the call for a ceasefire than they are with conservative mps for whom i imagine that's just priced in um so very short-sighted to to um uh, in any way, excuse the um, threats to Mike Freer on the grounds that it may mean a by-election victory for Labour.
0: Absolutely. All right, well, we, we certainly agree on that, and I'm sure the listeners will. The, uh, and so maybe we can finish on that story. All right, well, now let's do another big story that Toby was very much part of. This is the Premier League Stasi, as you called it, Toby, and poor old Lindsay Smith, the Newcastle United fan, who's been effectively spied on by the club for her views on the trans issue, which is just so mental. I don't even know where to begin. But you put out this very effective and well-made film, I must say, uh, made with uh, Alex and you, uh, in association with the Free Speech Union. And you were interviewing Lindsay Smith about her story. But do you want to explain it for us all?
1: Yes. So um, this is um, Lindsay is a, a Newcastle United fan. She's been a fan of the Magpies all her life. She spent thousands of pounds on tickets to games, merchandise. I mean, a real diehard Newcastle United fan, an ultra fan. And um, she found herself placed under investigation uh, last year after a uh, a trans rights activist complained about things Lindsay had said on her Twitter account, things like trans women aren't women. Um, And you would have thought that Newcastle United um, receiving this complaint would have just told the complainant, um, you know, as politely as possible. Well, what a fan says about this political issue uh, outside the ground, provided she hasn't said it to any of our players or officials or employees, hasn't even said it to another Newcastle fan. It's really none of our business. Um, So, you know, um, you're just going to have to lump it. Um, But instead, um, they took it seriously enough uh, to ask the Premier League to investigate Lindsay And by that they meant um, look at other things she'd said on social media and compile a dossier on her. So it turns out the Premier League has this shadowy intelligence unit, um, which was set up in 2019, whose job it is to look at the social media media posts of football fans, fans of Premier League clubs, uh, to see if they are people who um, should be allowed to attend games. Now, you can imagine that this was originally set up to try and find football hooligans who were trying to organise fights or racists who were responsible for racist abuse of players and officials in grounds. But there's been an enormous amount of scope creep seemingly since this policy was put in place and the surveillance unit set up. And now they're not just monitoring people for hooliganism, racism, homophobia, but for so-called transphobia too. Um, And this unit um, compiled a 14-page dossier on Lindsay, which included such details as where she walks her dog, what the name of the church is, which is near her home. Um, It it said she had connections to Whitby Bay. I mean, absolutely extraordinary. Um, And uh, the Premier League handed this dossier to NUFC, who on the strength of it, well, they then alerted Northumbria police and said, we think that this woman may have committed a hate crime by saying she didn't think trans women were women. Um, and Northumbria police, needless to say, uh, then went round to Lindsay's house and threatened her with arrest if she didn't come down to the station to be interviewed under caution, which she duly did. But after a couple of hours, the police reluctantly concluded that actually nothing she'd said was against the law. Um, and you would have thought that having passed this back to Newcastle United's you know, diversity and inclusion department, no Nothing she said was unlawful. They would have then, you know, said, "Okay, no case to answer, drop the investigation. But no, they decided to impose uh, a ban on Lindsay attending games until the end of the 2026 season. So she's been banned from attending games for the rest of this season and banned for the next two seasons because of her supposedly transphobic comments on Twitter. Uh, It's absolutely extraordinary. Um, You know, this is the most egregious example, I think. Uh, The free speech union has come across as kind of overreach of illegitimate interference in free speech by either a private or a public company. Um, uh, And um, uh, we're doing our best to um, uh, help Lindsay. Um, We've helped to make a complaint to um, the uh, information regulator because we think that the fact that the Premier League compiled this dossier on there and then passed it on to Newcastle United is a breach of... um, GDPR, of data protection. Um, uh, we're also helping her appeal um, the decision to ban her to the footballing ombudsman. There may be other legal remedies which we're exploring. We want to get her reinstated. We want the ban lifted if, if, if we can. Um, but it is just, um, it's absolutely appalling. And um, the video The film I made with Alex, um, about an eight minute film, um, has got almost three million views. I mean, I think it really has struck a chord. I think even people who are usually pretty sanguine about um, woke corporations trying to stifle free speech and think that it's just, uh, you know, a culture war trope and don't usually take it very seriously. I think uh, finally waking up to the fact that that. organizations like the premier league in their zeal to be diverse and inclusive um, are engaging in a form of hyper liberal mccarthyism one of the ironies of this case nick is that um, you know the views she expressed far from being hate speech or a hate crime um, are views which are shared by the majority of the british public i imagine most newcastle fans and the owners of newcastle united which is you know um the saudi royal family uh why why is a club owned by the saudi royal family persecuting a fan and she's a lesbian incidentally why are they persecuting her for expressing beliefs that presumably um align with their own in certain respects Uh, i mean it's just a bizarre story um yeah absolutely shocking and appalling and i hope we can i hope we can get the ban lifted
0: that is absolutely insane. Well, let's play a little clip from the film so people know what we're talking about.
1: So just to be clear, because you expressed your gender critical beliefs mm-hmm. on Twitter, they've, Newcastle has banned you mm-hmm. for the rest of this season and for two more seasons. Yeah. And how do you feel about that? Devastated. Just devastated. I mean, I live 10 minutes away. It's. Mm. This is, you know, I, I struggle to even come come near the ground now. To be honest with you, I get upset when I talk about it because I just don't understand where it's come from. You know, um, I don't I don't understand why why someone's gotten so offended by me just speaking my mind. I, I don't get it. But you know, I, I avoid the city now. I avoid it, especially if it's a match day. If I'm going home, I'll drive the long way round so I don't have to see people. Um, you know, I, I won't. I won't even come down here and drink anymore. I used to always be in Shearer's over the road, or I'd be in the Strawberry. I can't even bring myself to do that. Every time I come round here now, I'm just sick to my stomach, and I'm afraid of who's around, who's watching me. You know, so it's just horrible.
0: All right, that was a clip from the film. I mean, the story, like you say, is so shocking in, in so many elements. I don't even know really where to begin. That that particular wrinkle that the owners are—what are they? The Saudi owners of Newcastle then persecuting people in this country for sort of not having extreme leftist woke views is so weird. It's kind of like Chinese infiltration. It's like weakening our country or something with things they don't actually believe. That's so strange. And like you also say, people will maybe finally wake up when it hits people where it hurts, which is football, you know, wokeness in infiltrating football. I already wonder if football's too woke to watch and whether we all need to boycott it after this. But Toby, you wanted to add another element of the story as well. Well,
1: Well, Just to add to what you just said, um, it does seem to be a characteristic of the Premier League and Premier League clubs and the FA um, that they profess to be inclusive. They profess to believe in equality, to embrace the woke agenda um, until such time as it in any way Jeopardizes the vast amounts of money uh, these clubs and various organizations are earning. Hence the um, capitulation over the wearing of the what rainbow armbands in the Qatari World Cup. Uh, The decision um, uh, to award the World Cup in what, not the next one, not the one after that, but the one after that, it's going to take place in Saudi Arabia. It's like this complicity with kind of the sport washing that, you know, um, autocratic. Islamic dictatorships engage in by involving themselves in football and in the Premier League, uh, buying Premier League teams. You know the complicity uh, and the kind of the turning of a blind eye um, to the persecution of LGBT people in these Islamic countries. Um, And yet at the same time, you know, the kind of witch hunts of people like Lindsay for not signing up to every jot and tittle of the kind of radical progressive agenda in our country. I mean, it's just the the kind of paradox couldn't be more obvious, kind of parallels there with um, anarcho-tyranny. But no, the only thing I wanted to add, Nick, was um, uh, we don't think that Lindsay is an isolated case. We think that hundreds, possibly thousands of people have been similarly investigated by the stadium STASI as we're calling this surveillance unit embedded in the Premier League. And we've got a form on the Free Speech Union's website whereby you can submit uh, a subject access request both to the Premier League team you support and to the Premier League to see if a file has been opened on you. So please go to our website if you're a fan of a Premier League team and submit one of these SARs. And you can find that at freespeechunion.org forward slash SAR forward slash.
0: Absolutely shocking stuff. So go and do that. And poor old Lindsay, I've lived in Newcastle. I knew some of the pubs she mentioned in the film. And it's a massive part of the culture there, of course. So to be banned from the ground is a big deal. Uh, It's part of your identity. It's part of your culture. I mean, they don't have a right to do that. Football clubs uh, come from working class culture and communities. It's the ultimate betrayal of of the, the roots of football. We know that it's been infiltrated by woke, centrist dads. And that's kind of the whole vibe with football now. But this is kind of the apotheosis of that because... To ban someone from their own club in their own town, what gives you a right to do that? Okay, if they've been in the stadium doing crazy stuff, assaulting people, or I don't know, what, you know, some crazy chant. That's well, I, I even think you should be allowed to do pretty crazy chants personally. I think that's part of the culture as well. But you know, for just for her views, I mean, insane. It's insane on all levels. The idea that a football teams spying on you obviously is just peak woke, off the charts, just unbelievable, dystopian, whatever you want to say. But then just that extra aspect that it's, this is her community and her team really pisses me off. And, yeah. th- this, and th- were you going to say something?
1: Well, I was going to say, um, you know, uh, where does the creep end? You know, if, if Newcastle United think they can legitimately ban people from St. James's Park for things they've said on Twitter, which we know aren't unlawful because they sicked the police on her and the police c- concluded there was no case to answer. Um, if they're going to monitor what people say on Twitter um, outside the ground and not anything they say to anyone connected with the club, then what non-arbitrary reason do they have for not monitoring what people say to one another in pubs? You know, who's to say that that Newcastle United and the Stadium Stasi won't start monitoring what people say to each other on their way to and from games in the pub um, beforehand, in the pub Afterwards, um, at work, you know, if they if they think they can legitimately police what you say, um, uh, uh, and not even um, anything unlawful on Twitter, why not in every other part of your private life as well? I mean, where does it end?
0: Yeah, great question. And and what's so absurd about the Saudi aspect as well is that we'd almost be better off in a in a a straight up um, authoritarian Muslim country. I mean, cleaner streets, presumably less less stealing. But we'd still have, you know, we're already so we're in, a, we're in an authoritarian woke country, but we have the Saudis as well. I mean, and we also have all these problems with, with um, MPs stepping down because of Islamic death threats. So it's like, we seem to have the worst of all worlds now. I mean, what culture are we in here? It's a kind of Islamic woke authority. It's like both types of dictatorship at once. I mean, just give me a Saudi country where I know the rules. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, women can't drive. What? I'm not going to steal anything. I like my hands. <laughs> Just like
1: Yes. I mean, it's, it's, um, you make a good point. I think the, the fact that, um, we're not officially a kind of woke theocracy, uh, in some ways puts the non-woke, particularly the victims of the kind of witchfinder generals at a disadvantage, um, because there's never really any proper due process. You know, it wasn't clear exactly, um, why, um, uh, it wasn't clear what process Lindsay was being put through. Uh, the Free Speech Union helped her appeal the ban. And we, you know, we appealed to the fact that gender critical beliefs are now protected philosophical beliefs under the Equality Act post force data. Um, uh, they are beliefs that the Court of Appeal has judged worthy of respect in a democratic society. And it's actually unlawful to discriminate against people because they express those beliefs. And that was just Totally rejected out of hand by Newcastle United. Um, it, it's like there is no obvious process. You can't appeal to the law. Uh, the fact that what she said wasn't against our laws wasn't enough to protect her. Um, uh, seemingly, Nufc wants to go beyond what you know what the law allows you to say and say no. We have a higher standard. We're holding <laughs> people to a higher standard. It was like it's like there's no. It's all a kind of grey, murky, Kafkaesque. Um, uh, zone um, in which people don't really know where they stand or how best to defend themselves.
0: And the capture of football is particularly repulsive for many reasons because it's a working class tradition, because it's like our last refuge. I've already written articles in the past about maybe I'll stop watching it because of BLM, the ludicrous capitulation to that, the kneeling, the plastering of BLM everywhere, then the gaslighting. Oh, no, we're just talking about general anti-racism. No, you're not. It's their literal logo. It's a radical left-wing organisation that hates the family. And hates the West and hates Israel and so on, and the rainbow laces, the rainbow armbands. I was, at, was, my family were having a debate about this at one point. I won't mention who, who, which members, but someone more sound of opinion in the family said, "Well, what, why, why is it the rainbow laces now?" And someone else was like, "Oh, I don't know why it bothers people." Well, it bothers us. It obviously bothers someone, doesn't it? Because they wouldn't be doing it. It bothers us because they're they're doing all this, and we the we're the victims of it, if it wasn't important, they wouldn't be. It's obviously important to them. So why it cannot be important to us to say no to it? It's just relentless. Then you've got the presenters, famously. Joey Barton's talking a lot about, you know, constant diversity in the presenters. It doesn't matter about merit. You've got the obsession with women's football. I know people, some people like it, but you're, kind of, you're not even allowed to not like it. Sadiq Khan will get you in his mate campaign. So football has been hijacked, as everything will be and as everything has been by the woke revolution. I mean, another example I think of is comedy, when comedy was hijacked by the BBC, and my theory was, look, okay, you had this comedy like live at the Apollo and things, Michael McIntyre. Oh, it's funny. It's quite mainstream. People can laugh. Great. It's quite cheap programming. Then they go, oh, hang on, this is powerful. This is watched by loads of people. Let's hijack it with our, our left-wing ideology, and then it becomes the niche kumarization of comedy, and comedy just becomes your scum because you voted Brexit. You're a racist. Good night. And you go, oh, that doesn't seem. That seems different. So, very much the same with football. Football, just a game for people to watch and let off steam and enjoy and, and follow the players and so on. And maybe they want to be a footballer, maybe they play themselves, whatever it is, maybe they just enjoy it for all the family. Now it becomes, as we have to be lectured relentlessly, so it's just a capture, and it's an obvious point, but it's the capture. It's, you look at football, you say this is a massive, powerful thing that reaches so many people. We can't waste this opportunity not to promulgate our ideology.
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, it's been particularly vulnerable to woke capture uh, because it's um, a sport associated with white working class men. And in the eyes of the woke high priests, they are, you know, the problem. Um, They are demons. They're the people who need to be re-educated. So they see this as a fantastic opportunity to re-educate some of the worst, most despicable people in our society. And the fact that the Premier League needs to um, sell its kind of uh, sell television rights around the world, sell merchandise, do these deals with video game makers and all the rest of it, um, that all of those all of those different sectors are also completely captured. So they have to kind of show that they are um, they are whiter than white um, uh, (laughs) in order to kind of uh, not be in any not to in any way jeopardize the kind of oceans of lucre just pouring into their coffers.
0: Yeah. The whole thing is so insane. I mean, luckily you've got your film and it's doing really well. And I think like, the fact that it's doing so well, as you say, suggests people are, are finally waking up to some of this. But that is a, a whole new level, Premier League clubs spying on their own fans. Are you going to stop watching though, Toby? Because I know you, you watch QPR, which is kind of a not really involved in the Premier League anymore. <laughs> but, but I don't know. Would you stop watching football?
1: Well, I don't think um, all clubs do it. Um, So um, uh, I think some clubs, when, you know, uh, vexatious complainants uh, try and get them banned from the ground because they've said something they disagree with outside the ground, um, just tell, you know, tell the complainants to get knotted. Um, And someone actually did tell me of an example of that. Uh, Someone had tried to get them banned and their club had or anything to do with it um, so i don't think it's absolutely ubiquitous yet you know um, uh, and qpr are not in the premier league and it may be some time before they're back in the premier league so uh, at least i'm not going to be investigated by the stadium stars at least not for the time being
0: i do have a real problem being a lifelong Man united fan and um I, I barely have time to watch it now anyway and because it's all so woke i don't know if i should even watch it i'm not sure i'm on the fence about that it is a it is a joke um, my granddad was right all those years ago when he said the only sport that's not corrupted now is darts. Darts, Nicky, only sport worth watching these days. That's what he said to me. And I, do you know what? It sounded funny at the time, but he was absolutely right. Um, all right, that you can that- imagine though oh.
1: that the, 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 they'll probably probably you know darts is the next frontier in the kind of march through the sports um you know the last vestige of kind of white working class culture uh, i imagine i think oh there's, there's plenty of people to re-educate in the darts community you know the, the, alcoholism big problem amongst darts fans uh, we need to start proselytizing about the dangers of demon alcohol you can imagine you know they're, they're, they're going to make a concerted effort to ruin darts in the next sort of 12 months now that it's suddenly exploded
0: yeah it would it be trans people of color drinking a green juice and, you, and and you won't be able to throw. And a darts far too violent a thing to throw, and it's too dangerous. So it'll just be trans people drinking green juice, placing something onto a board uh, with Velcro. <laughs> I think that's the most likely outcome. I'm almost certain that'll happen within the year. Um, all right, that is the Premier League shocking story. Uh, Toby, would you like to do this week's advert?
1: Yep. So um, this is an ad from our most loyal sponsor. Uh, Thor Holt. We haven't heard from him for a while but um, he's now bought um, another six ads and uh, so this is the first of six that you'll be hearing over the next six weeks unless you're a premium subscriber in which case you won't be hearing the ads. Um, Anyway it begins. Love to hear Christopher Hitchens's take on the 2020s. So with reverence to the great skeptic today's read is dedicated to him. Ladies and gentlemen, sceptics all, gather round for a discourse on public speaking and career discovery. Indulge me briefly. Imagine yourself, glass in hand perhaps, engaging in self-discoveries with Thor. Dissecting your present situation, unfolding future aspiration, no promise of the moon, nor shrouding discussion in undue mysticism. You shall together craft a narrative worthy of your own promise. The price less than the value, and less than a decent bottle at £225. However, mere mention of Skeptic Podcast and a further £100 discount is yours. Still harbouring doubts? Admirable. Remember Hitchens' razor. What can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. Therefore, hear Gemma, who was anxious and had lost her sparkle. Gemma continues... After my discovery with Thor, I was laughing again. I felt empowered. He helped me refocus and restructure my keynote in a way that landed a commanding and powerful message. And I then delivered it feeling confident, less nervous than I would have been. Thor has a way of being able to assess a situation, give sound, impactful advice, and eliminate the stress. You can contact Thor on WhatsApp on plus four four zero seven nine zero six. Three two one five nine three. That's 7906 Or on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash That's linkedin.com slash in slash Thorhold.
0: All right. Well, now it's time for everyone's favorite section, which is peak woke. So Toby, quite a few peak wokes this week. I mean, the most obvious one was the Labour MP Charlotte Nichols saying that people should be allowed to change gender after their death. This is the Labour MP for Warrington North. Pronouns in bio, unsurprisingly. Did you see that one?
1: I did see that one. Yes, yes. Um, But uh, not entirely surprising because um, the Labour Party, um, having accused the Tories of um, uh, talking up the culture war, when there was really nothing to see, it was all just an invention of um, Tories desperate to be re-elected and talk about something other than the cost of living, Uh, last week announced um, that they were going to introduce um, a Race Equality Act, which, amongst other things, would extend, they said, equal pay rights to Black, Asian and minority ethnic staff, as though, you know, they're not already protected from being discriminated against by their employers. But um, the measures announced in this Race Equality Act were um, mandating ethnicity pay gap reporting, ensuring police officers and police staff undertake anti-racism training, as if they're not doing enough of that already, and reviewing the school curriculum to ensure it's suitably diverse, i.e. more decolonizing of the school curriculum. So they're doubling down on woke gobbledygook in schools, in the police, in the workplace, and accusing us, Nick, us, of waging the culture war.
0: Yeah, and I noticed they were also going to appoint a Windrush commissioner. No idea what that's going to be about. But yeah, I know it could get very, very woke. Maybe we'll discuss it in the paid section, whether Labour are going to be really woke or whether they're going to follow Tony Blair and, I don't know, Get even though he is woke, but he's sort of more more hardline and ruthless about just winning and getting some things done. Let's see um did you also I, I saw
1: oh, I saw I saw Blair speak last week Nick um I went to uh Derek Draper's uh funeral on Friday um uh, I used to know him quite well in the mid-90s and the the, the one of the people who, who who paid tribute to Derek um was Tony Blair so I'll talk about that in the page section
0: okay let's do that. Um, And the other one I I got was there was a black sense and sensibility. So Hallmark, the Hallmark channel, which no one watches, presumably are going to do a version of sense and sensibility, but with all black ads or mainly black lead characters. And one says, why? (laughs) Why do we have to constantly erase everything white all the time and replace it with other non-white people? It's just like at this point, you just say, why? What is it that you? Why do you hate white people so much? You have to erase everything white. I'm sort of done with all that. I'm I'm just done with it.
1: Yeah, I haven't actually seen, I never actually watched, um, the, what was the other, what was the? What was really the first series, what was it called again, It would in which it was kind of like a, a Regency period costume drama, and all the characters were black, um, all the actors were black.
0: There was um, an Anne Berlin thing, there was Catherine... I it mean, was what?
1: called Bridlington or something. Oh,
0: like. um,
1: Bridgetown. No, Bridgetown, Bridgetown. Bridgetown, yeah, So Bridgerton, Bridgetown. Anyway, did, 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 was did, did they were they just black actors playing kind of white characters or did they kind of black up the story as it were um in order to kind of make it more plausible that all the characters were being played by black actors. Is that or in the case of Sense and Sensibility will the pretense be that um somehow there were black people living in you know, Bath in the 1820s. Um, and this is the story of what their lives were really like. Um, uh, or, 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 or will they just kind of ignore the fact that? that they're all black and um, just pretend that, you know, it is in fact the Jane Austen story that they're telling Yeah. And just ignore. I mean, the latter. Work, I you? think
0: it would be the latter. The latter okay. I say this, Bridgerton it's called. I say this having never watched Bridgerton. I don't watch period dramas. I'm not really the target audience, so I'm just sort of mouthing off. But, yeah, I presume it's just going to be, hey, this is all just normal and um, history doesn't exist, stuff like that, probably. And then people say, why do you care? You're racist.
1: <laughs> um, Toby, do you want to do a peak work? Yeah, so I I don't know if you saw this one, Nick, but um, uh, some Anglo-Saxon warriors may have been transgender, according to an academic. Um, so um, an academic who studied um, Anglo-Saxon uh, burials in Kent through, quote, the lens of transness, unquote, uh, believes that um, transgender women... May have enjoyed high status in Anglo Saxon society. I think what he means by that is um, men. Women. I mean, (laughs) he means men. Yeah, I get this right. It's always a bit confusing. Um, But um, so uh, he's he's looked at 7th century burials in Buckland in Dover. And because some of the burial chambers contain um, feminine, they apparently contain. Um, feminine goods um, uh, which are at odds with the sex of the person buried which they've worked out through carbon dating or something and he he's interpreted these discrepancies through the lens of trans and concluded yes. that they were in fact trans warriors um, yeah <laughs> it's extraordinary I'm very confused because it
0: said transgender men in the one I saw some Anglo-Saxon warriors may have been transgender men which is that is that a mistake or do they mean women That are... I don't know yeah, lens of transness, this guy's doing a PhD at University of Liverpool. Yeah, it's very, very tenuous. And the word may may have been trans, is working very hard there, isn't it? I mean may have been, may have enjoyed high status, but probably it's just some other mistake and there definitely weren't trans <laughs> Morris. That's well, it, that's it, looks, it looks as
1: I think I think I think his argument is that because some corpses which appear to be male um, were buried with some feminine artefacts and vice versa Um, that therefore trans was a thing in Anglo-Sax- Anglo-Saxon England. That's a hell of um, a so leap. So I think it applies to... It's a hell of a leap. Yeah, a hell of a leap. This uh, looks
0: like a female body and there's a sword here and vice versa. I yeah,
1: mean... could be Penny Morden. Yeah. doesn't mean she's trans. Right.
0: Maybe it was a female <laughs> who happened to be good with swords and they oh, would be nice. She likes swords. Put a sword here. I, you know, there must have been one or two women that were Good with swords. I don't know. Probably allowed to secretly have a sword. Okay. I don't know. I've got no idea, but I do know this is... I know quite confidently this is bollocks. I say that with confidence. Um, I mean, there's there's many we could pick. I've got a couple more that might apply. Um, is this Pete Wilk? I mean, well, this one is. U.S. man accused of destroying Satanic Temple statue charged with hate crime. So you had this uh, Satanic Temple uh, in Iowa who have actually brought this case against him state was brought to the capital by the satanic temple of iowa under state rules allowing religious displays in the building during the holidays so it was this bathroom statue and this guy basically toppled it i don't know if he took its head off he just destroyed it because he's a total base legend michael cassidy and um he did a great thing if you ask me but this has been called a hate crime so they're at least admitting that they are literal satanists and this is their religion and if you as a BLM rioter, topple Columbus, Jefferson, Washington—no hate crime charges. But if you take down Bathemut, you're you're in you're in big trouble.
1: Yeah, um, uh, there were a couple of BBC peak wokes. There was um, the scheduler for BBC Three who posted and liked the most vile anti-Semitic content on Twitter, I believe.
0: Dawn Caver.
1: Uh, She's now part of company with the BBC. Yeah. And then there was another BBC journalist um, who um, uh, became a paid witness in the deportation uh, hearings of at least 15 Somalis um, who'd been, I think, convicted of crimes. She testified on their behalf and in some cases prevented them from being deported.
0: Wow. Yeah, I saw the Dawn Quaver or Caver one, which was that she put all these extremist uh, th- things about Jews, but also white people. It was very much Louis Farrakhan type of stuff. They said she said that white people are barbaric, bloodthirsty, rapacious, murderous, genocidal, thieving, parasitical, parasitical, deviant breed. But hey, we also have bad qualities. And um, she also referred to the Holol hoax and stuff like this about Jewish people. It was mad stuff. I mean. The BBC. I mean, has anyone working there not done something weirdly anti-Semitic? And they, they all hate white, people, we know that. But I mean, is that just their hiring That's, policy at this point? Uh,
1: I think. Uh, I think it. I think it. I think it just reflects the fact that um, uh, in the in the kind of woke church, um, Israel Jews no longer enjoy victimhood status, so they're considered fair game by the radical progressives who see them as you know white settler colonialists um did you see there was one 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 comical storm in a teacup um shakespeare's globe um has um uh, cast a woman to play richard iii in a forthcoming production um and that's caused a bit of a storm not because a woman has been cast in a man's role, but because she's able-bodied and Richard III was famously disabled. Um, And um, the Globe has kind of uh, placated these critics who are furious about this example of ableism and cripping up. Uh, don't give a stuff that she's not the right gender, but are furious about the fact that she's able-bodied. And the Globe have said, ah, well, she's not going to crip up. She's just not she's just going to pretend she's not going to pretend to be hunchback or anything like that. She's just gonna, she's just going to ignore the fact that, um, uh, that that he had this disability. Um, uh, and in that way, they've, they've, they've apparently, you know, solved the problem, um, which was never about the fact that a woman has been cast as Richard III. Is Crip Up the accepted
0: phrase then? I haven't heard that one.
1: I think it is. Maybe maybe it's one of those phrases you can't use if you aren't yourself disabled. Um, so I may get into trouble now.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it could be that. It could be anything else we've said this week. Um, all right. Well, that's pretty much peak woke. I mean, I might just add, I don't know what to call this section. But I thought about adding you know, a little section called base department or peak based or who knows, people have had various ideas, but just a sort of antidote to peak woke. And my candidate for that is that the uh, New York Times has totally changed its tune suddenly on trans children. So there was an opinion piece from Pamela Paul. As kids, they thought they were trans. They no longer do. And the New York Times has finally noticed that it can be a bad thing to transition as a confused child with a mental problem and to uh, take puberty blockers and mutilate yourself in various ways that are usually irreversible. So She says here, progressives often portray the heated debate over childhood transgender care as a clash between those who are trying to help growing numbers of children express what they believe their genders to be, and conservative politicians who won't let kids be themselves. But right-wing demagogues are not the only ones who have inflamed the debate. Transgender activists have pushed their own ideological extremism, especially by pressing for a treatment orthodoxy that has faced increased scrutiny in recent years. Under that model of care, clinicians are expected to affirm a young person's assertion of gender identity and even provide medical treatment before or even without exploring other possible sources of distress many who think there needs to be a more cautious approach including well-meaning liberal parents doctors and people who have undergone gender transition and subsequently regretted their procedures have been attacked as anti-trans and intimidated into silencing their concerns so she's saying it's not just evil conservatives it's good liberals but it's it's a big change in the new york times oh oh maybe this isn't a good thing bit late Lots of people's lives have been destroyed before they reach this completely obvious conclusion. But yeah, it it was pretty, pretty straight. I mean, and this, this proves what some people claim. There's a guy called academic agent. There's some others who say, look, maybe they're just going to put the woke away, as he says it, meaning just they'll suddenly just get rid of wokeness, the regime, if it doesn't suit them anymore. And it will just happen very quickly and suddenly, and it'll just take down all the scaffolding or whatever. And that will be that. And this could this be a sign of a change uh, from the New York Times and from the left on the trans child issue?
1: Well, yeah, I think it, it, it certainly is a sign of the ground shifting, um, uh, uh, because the New York Times is the holy see of the woke church. So, if it's now allowing, you know, freedom of thought on this particular issue and not dictating how people are supposed to think about it, then that is a hugely significant shift. But it probably doesn't yet um, signal um, a pivot away from wokery-pokery in general. Uh, I think it may be that the woke have finally woken up to the fact that they've overreached um, in uh, when it comes to trans stuff, that insisting that uh, 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 biological men who identify as women uh, have no advantage over biological women when competing against them in sports like rugby and tennis and football. They've realised that you know most ordinary people who aren't completely kind of um, pickled in this nonsense can see straight through that and realise that it's nonsense. Um, and um, so I think that I think it, I think it, it represents a slight retreat. Um, but I think it's a tactical retreat. I don't think it represents any kind of surrender.
0: Okay, fair enough. Yeah, it is a slight retreat, much like the diversity and inclusion nonsense that's getting ousted gradually as well. So keep keep your eyes peeled on that. That is pretty much all our free content this week. And we've done loads again, too much really for the free people, but there it is. We're very generous. And I didn't feel we could take Pete Woke away. I felt bad about that. So I've given you Peak Woke, everyone. Enjoy it. There it is. And uh, once again, live show, February 12th, Hippodrome, Leicester Square in London. Monday, February 12th starts... What time does it start, Toby? 6.30? It
1: starts. Doors open 6.30. Show, curtain goes up at 7.00. Curtain goes down
0: at 9.00. media.org, Go to events or go to eventbrite.com. Um, if you want to support me, go to buymeacoffee.com slash nitdixon. People are obviously paying for based instead, which I understand. But if you you know, specifically don't like Toby, you could go to buymeacoffee.com slash Nick Dixon. There's the current thing. My other podcast still doing very well. We've had some great episodes lately. Just released a very, very interesting one with a guy who knew Andrew Tate before. He was famous. John Sonmez. Very interesting guy. Um, what else? My substack, nickdixon.substack.com I'm writing a lot more there. I think that is it. And uh, mainly, of course, go to basemedia.org, where we're about to go. For the paid content, but Toby, what else do you want to add?
1: Yeah, we've just we've got about another twenty to thirty minutes now um, of um, premium content, which uh, if you want to access, um, you're going to have to become a premium subscriber. Go to basemedia.org click on sign up, but you can become a premium subscriber for as little as £5 a month. And um, not only will you be able to access the premium content in this show, but we're going to put other shows on the site shortly. And you'll also be able to access the premium content in those shows. Um, uh, If you support the work of the Free Speech Union, um, helping people like Lindsay fight back against the bullies, um, uh, then go to freespeechunion.org Slash join if you're not already a member. Uh, You can also donate on that page. Um, And if you enjoy the content we produce at the Daily Skeptic, go to Daily Skeptic Uh, for as little as five pounds a month. You can become a commentator and commentate comment below the line. Uh, And to do that, go to dailyskeptic.org and click on uh, donate um, and uh, 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 help us produce the fantastic content that we produce every day.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much to all the non-base listeners and the, the base listeners who are about to get uh, the extra content where we get sexist and it just gets horrendous in the in the paid bit. We we can't release that for free, obviously. We say our real views. That's in the paid content section. But anyway, go over to basemedia.org. That's where we're going to go now. Thanks to all the free people. I think that is it. So until next week, uh, stay skeptical.
1: Stay skeptical.